In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make weal and create woe. I, the Lord, do all these things. Isaiah 45, verse 7. Last week, I talked about living as if we are God's people. In this verse, I think we gain an insight into what that may mean. When the Lord speaks through Isaiah, we get a glimpse of who he is. He's not just anyone. He forms light. I remember what my friend Shannon Godfrey said a couple of weeks ago, that light is the only constant and Jesus is called the light of the world, not accidentally. I think if someone came to me on earth and claimed to be able to form light, I'd be impressed. To be honest, I am impressed by someone who can make candles and light up the dark places in my house for me when the power goes out. Imagine how impressed I should be knowing the one who is responsible for the formation of original light. How should I feel about him? Through Isaiah, God also shows his power in another way. As a righteous God, he reminds us he can make weal and woe. I know what woe is, and I'm presuming weal is the opposite, so I looked it up, and yes, it means good fortune and prosperity. This is the same God who promises to wipe away all tears. This is the Lord, and there is no God beside him, and he has called us by name to be with him. Live as one of God's own. Surrender. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. In a little bit, I'll be welcoming back Eli Gerzon, an unschooling graduate who gave up institutional school to take classes from Harvard in linguistics, anthropology and calculus. Eli is a resourceful young man who will talk to us today about a topic he's been mulling over for a few years now, the importance of whole soul safety. Intrigued? Well, stay with us to find out more. I'll also be nattering on about the last of the hectic days with Sukeeper son Simon and our preparations for the visit of our teacher daughter Paris during our dancer daughter Malia's half term. If I have time, shopping, sending goodies home and battling British allergies will also appear as conversation topics. So take a sip of your coffee or tea and enjoy a shortbread or two and relax for the next hour while I do all the work. Plummeting temperatures and sunny skies are what we've been treated to this week, and I hear in Texas you're having glorious weather too. Long-sleeved shirts and a scarf are all it takes to enjoy the weather, and we have. My son brrrred his way around town, but I told him if we complain every time it gets a little chilly, we'd be spending the next six months grumbling, so we're not going to. This is England. There's a place here called Covent Garden. Probably heard of it. It used to be where two contrasting things happened. One first thing in the morning and the other late in the evening. The Royal Opera House at Covent Garden has been in existence since 1732. And as children, 
not in the 1700s, but in the 1900s, my brother and I used to go and see operas and ballets every birthday and anniversary. That worked out to about five times a year. These outings were full-out dress-up affairs and thoroughly enjoyed by us. I have memories of watching Fontaine and Nureyev in Swan Lake, Harry Seacombe in the Pickwick Papers, as well as Maria Callas in Madame Butterfly. Also at Covent Garden, which used to be the Convent Gardens of Westminster Abbey, you know, I often wondered whether or not they'd missed out the end by accident and it had stuck. Anyway, it used to be the Convent Gardens of Westminster Abbey in the 1600s. And it was the fruit and vegetable market with its origins firmly rooted sorry for the pun, in 1630. The market would spring into life at about 2 a.m. in the morning. Here was the place you went to buy the freshest produce for your shops and households. Porters would balance umpteen baskets on their heads and run through the markets delivering the wares to buyers and sellers. A bustling, exciting place to visit, even at the more reasonable hour of 9 o'clock when normal people went. Sadly, it's moved and has been replaced by very sophisticated boutiques and cafes, restaurants and buskers. Once a week on a Monday, there's an antique market. And this is where we went this week with our son, who wanted to buy a silver bracelet and some charms for his loved one in Texas. We had a good time combing the trays of charms, looking for the perfect few for him to buy. There were a few criteria. They had to have an English bent. They had to have something to do with her job, or they had to be personal to them. So he settled on a policeman's helmet, a heart, a cross, and two birds. She's a master falconer. Then we left him to go rock climbing, not us, our son, and we bought our other son an English cardigan with leather buttons. We couldn't find one with leather elbow patches as well, but the Woolies Itchy Circle Pass musters the real thing. We also discovered that Simon is allowed to check in two bags on the plane on the way home, so we're not worried about the extra weight caused by the heavy outerwear he's having to carry home with him to sunny Texas. Let's hope he doesn't get the weather he's expecting, my mother would say. (sighs) We bought a very us coffee table from the Hart Foundation store in the nearby town. This is recycling at its best, and I fully believe in it for most of my articles of clothing and furniture. The table already has bags of character and looks fabulous in our lounge. My Texan said he would sand it a little so that the marks on top of the solid pine could be exclusively ours. I'm with my cousin when she disdains having to put coasters down on furniture all the time. This table won't succumb to heat marks from a carelessly placed cafetiere or stain with watermarks, so it's perfect for us. We christened it on Friday evening when my brother brought his two boys over for dinner. We don't have a dining table yet, so this became our diner, and we sat, or should I say knelt, all seven of us around it. My blue-eyed cowboy pulled out all the stops and made fried chicken, which was an absolute hit with all of us, the boys especially. My brother had told them, you know you always get good food when we go over to Auntie Vivian's, and this meal was no exception. I made two desserts. Hey, I've got the best art reputation to live up to. They left sated and happy, and unfortunately, that was all they saw of Simon. He kept us so busy, we hardly had time to breathe. We spent the day on Saturday in Leon Sea. It was glorious, and we managed to buy all the fabric we needed for more sofa pillows and some other bits and pieces Malia couldn't do without. We visited with her landlady for a while, who told us what a lovely girl she was, and she marvelled at how alike she and her brother looked. By the time she was ready to go to work, we had to leave. We'd sampled the fish and chips and taken a long walk along the front 
The tide was up for a change, and all the fishing boats bobbed prettily in the sparkling sunshine. We went to a wildlife park in Port Lim, owned by the Aspinall Foundation, about 30 minutes outside Canterbury. We hired a car for this trip so the walking wasn't so intense and we were all allowed into this fabulous preserve for free and Simon met with the director who seemed impressed with him and asked how soon he'd be ready to start. This took Simon by surprise but it's got him thinking. The park's about 600 acres and the animals look as though they roam wild. The black rhino are the largest herd outside Africa. They breed and release the gorillas back into the wild and have been very successful tracking them in a one million acre protected area in the Congo and Gabon. Seven of the 41 gorillas reintroduced into this program to re-establish viable gorilla populations in the wild were hand-reared at Port Lim and Howlett's, both Aspinall estates, and three more are on their way. Simon was impressed because many zoos breed and keep. When he was telling us later, we thought this was the point of zoos, to protect endangered species and have a release program to build up the numbers in the wild. But apparently not. Perhaps private and public zoos have different agendas. The sea can be seen from the park, way off in the distance, and the amount of land makes it a very peaceful place to be. Most of the keepers have Land Rovers to ride around in, my favourite car. And also there's a fleet of lorries and landies for the public to take advantage of when they grow too tired for the long hiking trails. But visitors were few on the ground while we were there. After the Wild Park, we went into Canterbury to walk around. And we can never marvel enough at the surprise glimpses of the cathedral down the ancient side streets and the timbered houses and the cobbled roads. Then we visited our favourite cousins and drank numerous cups of tea, ate banana bread and shelled freshly grown walnuts for baking, rather like shelling peas on the back step with our grandmothers. We were industrious while we exchanged our family news. Once the sun went down, a fire was lit in the living room and the walnut shells popped and burned gloriously alongside the freshly cut wood. No fire log in this house. Simon presented our host with a special gift he bought from the zoo, a collection of paintings done by various animals. He'd chosen paint colours he knew would go with their decor, and to say they were thrilled and amazed would be an understatement. They're both artists, and I don't think we would ever be able to find more enthusiastic or appreciative recipients for such a rare gift as the two of them. I could honestly say that I witnessed truly the gift in the giving on that companionable evening. We finished off satisfactorily with a yummy, scrumptious, scrummy Indian meal. After breakfast the following morning, all together in their spacious kitchen, we headed to see two well-hidden villages our cousin had taken to me and my southern gentleman to the last time we were there. We knew Simon would enjoy the swamp, so that's where we went first. The village had the wonderful name of Stod Marsh, and we walked on walkways placed on top of the water amongst the bulrushes and marsh grasses. We saw lots of ducks and geese, and the views were entrancing. There was still mist lurking on top of the marshes, and our breath was visible in the cold morning air. The next village was Chillum. Here, the town square still has all the original medieval shops, restaurants and houses in it, and people inhabit these historic white-timbered homes. We visited the church and photographed the manor house, and Simon took a panoramic view of the village itself, which looks wonderful. Film companies come in to capture the period for Dickensian and Austin classics, for this village is the real thing. 
After walking around and expressing a desire to one day rent a cottage there and live for a few months, we treated ourselves to a cup of coffee and a cream tea. The scones were so large, even Simon, a growing lad, had to share with us. And I thought my rose bushes had finished yielding, but I went out to throw my parings onto the compost heap and there were a couple of peach-coloured blooms looking beautiful among the thorns, so I had to bring them in and let them grace the top of my desk for a few days. I like to look at the ones in the communal gardens and can see them clearly from my windows, but I can't see the roses growing in my patch of ground underneath the windows, so I have to bring them in. Otherwise, they're utterly wasted on the squirrels and magpies. And I'll be back in a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette, at 11, 10 Central on toginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible. E. Embrace all relationships. A. Advance through adversity. D. Develop your significance. M. Manage your health and wealth. Y. Yield to your natural abilities. L. Listen to your heart. I. Invest in yourself. P. Persist by taking small steps. And S. Serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmylipstips.com. Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest this morning is Eli Gerzon, a young man who left school at 15 and directed his own education from then on. Initially, he read a lot, one of the best ways to learn. He researched the subject of education and started taking classes from other homeschooling families. 
For the last two years of high school, he took college classes at Harvard Extension School in linguistics, anthropology, and calculus. Eli found a way to travel and have his own business, World School Travel Tours, and takes teen homeschoolers and their families to Europe and Japan. When he's not abroad, he has a landscaping business in Boston. And he's my guest this morning. Good morning, Eli. Good morning. How are or you? Or afternoon, or whatever it is, wherever you are. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's good afternoon for me, but um, good morning for you. Yeah. So, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, I'm Happy doing to be very back. well. Yes, well, I'm glad. It's been a long time. And um, this time, we're going to shift a little bit um, since I've kind of not actually evolved, but I've learned an awful lot about lots of different ways to educate your family and your children over the years that since we've spoken. So um, this time, I want to talk to you about your feelings on school and why you finally decided to leave. Okay, so tell me, you know, sort of what triggered um, your decision to leave school? Because it, I don't think from our last conversation that it was your parents' decision to do that. I think it was yours, correct? No, it was definitely my decision. Um, yes. One of, one of the triggers I've, I've said before is that uh, finding out that I could leave was, was one of the main triggers. Um, <laughs> I just didn't know it was an option before. But... Um, <laughs> But really, yeah, it was the situation in school that was just, to me, didn't seem like it was about learning at all. It mm -hmm. seemed like it was about passing tests. It was about um, being considered cool. It was about doing what you were told. It just wasn't about learning. And that's mm -hmm. what I wanted to do, you know. I, I didn't want to waste time. And that, mm -hmm. was, that was, in a lot of ways, my main uh, criticism was, why are we doing this? This is a waste of time. And it wasn't mm -hmm. that I didn't want to work. I didn't want to do anything. Uh, it wasn't even that I was completely questioning the idea of doing what I was told by this person who may or may not be qualified to <laughs> tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was specifically like, this, this is a waste of time. I know I, I'm not learning anything from this, so why am I doing this? Yeah, the environment, right? I mean, exactly. it was just an odd environment. So uh, each day you went to school, how did you actually feel um, you know, sort of attending school and walking through those school gates or doors? Well, it was something where, yeah, you really did have to sort of put up a certain persona and have certain expectations and lack of expectations about what was going to happen there. Um, and, yeah, I guess you're referring to, to my speech, I know. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah the, I mean, the thought I, that I, I, I remember having was this is really interesting. Um, let's let's ha see what you know. What how how did you feel? And now, but you're a little bit away from there now, so you can look back on that and think a little bit more about it. I know you've been thinking about it, so you know from this distance, you know how did you feel? Did you feel? I, do you feel sorry for that young child that went to school every day? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the, the positive way that I look at it is that I feel from the experience I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I, I, I feel that a lot of who I was 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 really crushed and discouraged and that, yeah, I could not be the... I think open-hearted person that I can be, and creative person, and um, 
loving person in a lot of ways. You know, I just, uh, that, there wasn't much room for that. Um, mm-hmm. When you're being told what to do by the teacher and you're sitting and not moving and for most of the day, um, and you, I was almost most scared of myself classmates <laughs> in a lot of ways. But at the same time, we were all in the same boat. You know, it wasn't like they were like bad kids or something. It's just that we all had a lot of pressure um, and just had a lot of anxiety and uh, angst, I guess the word, just like just what we wanted to do. It just wasn't an option. We all just had to do what we were told um, for several hours a day and then you know, what room does that leave for sort of mm-hmm. the rest what of who you are? What room does for, for individuality and, uh, you know, being yourself? You know, how, how many exactly. hours in a day can you actually feel as though you're yourself having, you know, sort of had to put on this persona during school? Right. Yeah. Um, I know that a lot of young people, you know, as, as people are growing up, all children, you know, go through this sort of, who am I? Um, and um, I think school probably um, maybe stifles it a little bit more. But, you know, all walks of life, I mean, no matter where Absolutely. children are, this happens. Because I've spoken to um, Betty Hoffner. I don't know if you've um, heard of her. But if you haven't, go to her website, Hey Ugly, it's great. Sure. And... Um, she she just says that this happens with all children, homeschooled, unschooled, you know. Um, they just naturally want to fit in, you know. Absolutely. And, yeah, and I've spoken to some of these um, people that travel a lot with their children. When their children come back, they don't really want to talk about it because they don't want to stand out in their class as being different. Yeah, absolutely, so, and I think that that's, that's important. I mean, a lot of what I'm talking about happens to everybody all the time. And I don't think that personas are in and of themselves a bad thing. I think it can be, they can be very helpful tools and they, um, yeah, they can really, you know, they can help, uh, keep you safe in certain situations. That's, uh, uh, that's why we do them. You know, the problem is that you're in a situation where you feel the need to put up a persona for so many hours a day. And mm-hmm. the ideal, I believe, is that occasionally interacting with certain people in certain situations, you have to put up a persona. You have to, yeah, put up a sort of protective wall. Um, and that hopefully most of the time uh, you can basically be yourself um, around people where that's okay to do. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I think some persona we're always pretty much always putting up um Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. yeah to be able to let most of it down i think is what's important it's it's not i mean there's nothing that really i think happens in certainly on my school experience that if it was happening for a day or for a few minutes or something that it would be anything that's terrible it's just that if that's the that's your whole life that dominates your life and Mm -hmm. that's what's, what's so difficult Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, do you think schools could be a little bit more sensitive to that, perhaps? I mean, you know, teachers are under a lot of pressure, aren't they, to, um, you know, teach the, from the administrators to do this and do that. And uh, yeah. you know, they pass it on, don't they? They pass that on to the to the students, and the poor student is the one that's going, they have no control over what's going on at all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, um, yeah. And exactly, like you say, the teachers are, you know, 
getting from the administrators, the administrators are getting it from the parents and the social expectations and maybe politicians and whoever else is their boss and everything. Um, yeah. Yes. So I think the point is that, the, again, that the situation itself is very hard to cater to the individual mm-hmm. need mm-hmm. of, for one person to cater to the individual needs of 30 little kids or big kids. Mm-hmm. Um, almost more difficult with the big kids. But, yeah, it, it, yeah it's... it's um, it's just, yeah, it's the situation. And so could they cater to it more? Could they um, be more sensitive to that? I think it's possible, but you need the structure would just have to be very different. What you consider mm-hmm. school would have to be a very different animal. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and not really financially viable <laughs> for for the yeah. Well, yes and no. I think as a as an institution like that, it wouldn't be so viable. But I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, uh, a souped up uh, library would be a wonderful school where it's just it's a resource, you know. Um, and there could be more opportunity. There could if there is like lar- if there are large groups and. You know, one adult in charge of a lot of people, a lot of children, then they just, yeah, they would have more freedom, more opportunity to move around, more opportunity to do the things that do line up generally with most kids and, and then have, uh, have options too. have the, you know, the room where an adult is reading a story to whoever wants to listen to a story and you have the outdoors uh, activities going on and things like that. Yeah. to To have options. I think is yeah. really important. So, so some of those some of those smaller private schools might be able to do that. Like, um, you know, my children. Yeah, but again, uh, financially, not not yeah. so feasible. <laughs> what did you say? I said, but, but again, financially, not not a, not so feasible uh, for and many also people. Also, not not all, always not available for for everybody. You know, sort of just exactly. just a certain few the you know few that can afford to avail themselves of that. And the same with homeschool and unschooling. So, which kind of leads me into, um, so we decide to pull our child um, out of school and home or unschool them, or the child decides that that's the way they want to go. So how much Hmm. involvement do you yourself feel that a parent has to um, have with a child, or can an unschooler just be just left? I mean, it it sounds like that, but, you know, you and I both know (laughs) a little bit differently. Well, well, there's absolutely lots of involvement involved um, in unschooling, um, certainly in the younger years. I think Mm -hmm. that a teenager, yeah, plenty of teenage unschoolers, there is very little involvement from the parents. I mean, my mom was basically... Uh, a reference, somebody I would go to for mm-hmm. questions, not so much academic questions, but more general life questions, actually. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think academically, many of them can just go off on their own, um, finding classes and, you know, sort of the stereotype of uh, the parent just ends up becoming the chauffeur. But, um, yeah, that's right. If, but, if you're, if, but if you're in a city, it's nice, because then you don't meet that so much. But, Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, Eli, Eli we're, we're getting ready now to go on a break, but um, we'll be okay. back in about 90 seconds. For those of you just joining us, I'm talking to Eli Gerson, and he's sharing his views on education with us. And we'll be back in just a moment.
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Want to be challenged in a powerful way to leap beyond what you think is possible? Then join us Mondays for the Leah Jansen Show. Every Monday at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Togginet.com with Leah Jansen. Listen live as life coach Leah uses her coaching skills to give you the tools you need to take action and create momentum. You are encouraged to call in and share your greatest fears, challenges, and obstacles. And then listen as Leah obliterates those barriers to success. For more on Leah and the show, check out her website, LeahJansen.com. That's Leah, L-E-A-H-J-A-N-T-Z-E-N.com. Spend one hour with Leah, and you'll be captivated by her energy, enthusiasm, and magnetism. You'll quickly become addicted to her positive attitude and make-it-happen mentality. Ready for a life-changing, mood-altering show? Then get ready for Leah Jensen. And listen live to The Leah Jensen Show every Monday morning at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Eli, um, there have to be certain things, certain subjects or topics that have to be taught. They can't just be um, absorbed by osmosis. Um, Do you um, agree with me on that, or do you think that um, a child will naturally be able to pick up and do certain things and they don't need to be taught one-on-one? It depends on exactly what you're talking about. Um, I guess as far as academics, I think that, I guess I, I, I guess I would ask for like an example of what do you think does need to be taught? Okay. Um, reading. Yes, that's the one that uh, I think uh, would surprise a lot of people. So I've heard many stories like this, and actually it was the case with my older brother, um, where kids really are not taught to read. They honestly are just left to their own devices. When they ask questions, they're answered. When they ask to be read to, they're read to. Um, when they're asked to be helped to read a book, helped to read a street sign, whatever, um, comic books, whatever get, whatever they're motivated to, to find out about, they really do learn. And there are, believe it or not, many kids who don't learn to read until they're 10 or 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Because their, you know, their brain is developmentally at that stage, 
they're able to, you know, read Jane Austen in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their speaking skills, their understanding of language is right up there, but they just haven't learned to read. And I can definitely imagine that being nerve-wracking for parents. Um, and it wasn't the case for me. I actually, I really struggled with reading, but again, maybe if I'd just been given a couple more years. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, yeah, for me, it was the same. I wasn't very good at reading at a young age, and then suddenly it just clicked. And I was, you know, my teacher considered me one of the best readers in the class. It was <laughs> one of my proudest moments when, when she said that. Um, but, yeah, so reading, I do think, is, is one of the things. I, again, it's a lot about environment, though. When we were talking about um, countries, most of the people listening uh, to this show are, you know, talking about countries where there are free libraries all over, this, all over the place. People mm-hmm. are reading. People have the Internet. Um, it depends on your environment, but everyone's reading around in our environment. Um, and so, yes, I do think that's one thing. But are there other things, I don't know, that you're thinking well, of? Okay, so that's one thing that could needs to be taught or does not need to be taught. Sure. What do you mean? Oh, you're, you're saying reading? Yes. I think in this modern world it needs to be learned. I don't think it necessarily needs to be scheduled, we are going to learn to read at this time, and I'm going to teach you to learn to read, and you're going to be able to learn to read by yeah. this month. Um, yeah. I'm saying that it's something that people do seem to um, it, learn on their own. Yeah, if they're interested, because, you know, there's a, there are a lot of illiterate people out there who have not learned how to read and write properly at school. They graduate from high school without having that skill. Okay. So right. not getting it and I'm, I'm saying that right. I, I think that if you have a parent there who reads and mm-hmm. who supports their child in reading, mm-hmm. that it, it does happen. I know I met I met somebody who who was in that case who was basically illiterate but managed to get through high school. But then eventually she went to Harvard. Um, yeah. But I'm not advocating not learning to read. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how that happens in school. How people. Learn, don't learn to read. I think part of it is that the parents uh, allocate uh, caring about their child's education to the school. They put all the responsibility on the school. Mm-hmm. So I think that if the parent is taking an active role, encouraging reading, um, reading to their child, reading around their child, um, then I think it's pretty hard not, not to learn. Um, yeah, so so the thing is that even though your your child is going to a um, traditional school, um, the parents should not be completely hands off. I mean, they they should you know sort of encourage and nurture. And I mean that it it shows itself in so many instances that when you when you have the you know the the situation where children are from a lower um, income family and the parents having to work two or three jobs just to keep, you know, sort of food on the table, that these children aren't speaking as well as other children. They're not reading as well. So, I mean, it's really a joint effort and it's, it's, it's um, you know, sort of important. And plus, I think the child has to be motivated. They have to want to read for a reason. They have to go, right. I have to learn because I want to be able to read, you know, um, a train um, schedule because I want to spot trains or whatever it is that they want to do. Exactly. To... Exactly. Yeah. I think you had yeah. Peter Kowalki on recently, um, yes. or somewhat recently. Uh, he, his story is that he, he didn't learn to read until he really wanted to learn to read the comic yeah. books. 
that yeah. he loved so much. That's right. That's um, right. So that was mm-hmm. his, that was his gateway into learning to read everything. Yeah. Just that he yeah. wanted to read the comic books. Yeah. Exactly. So it is a lot about motivation. Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 I think there is a big difference between teaching and learning. I mean, you know, you can learn things by being gradually introduced to them and directed, so you can you know sort of decide whether or not this is interesting this is something that you want to pursue instead of being sat down and saying okay today we're going to do this this and this and you know you might not be at least bit interested so exactly yeah all right so so um do you think things so we've done reading so you don't you don't think in every situation that it needs to be taught so um certain things though probably need to be learned or taught like what like science or math or you know what what's important to learn what for for life i suppose now is where we're going a little bit you know what what do you think um as a young person is are important things to learn for life as a young person i think it's all about respect um, oh, that's that's wonderful. I think that's great that you said that because I have noticed. <laughs> Honestly, you know what, in- for me, yes. I think that, I mean, that's what actually matters, and that's what people don't always naturally learn. Mm-hmm. Um, basic, I know people are going to, I'm sure your audience will love me for this, but no, but really, basic courtesy, um, I think is what's what's really important uh, as far as life skills, as far as something that you need to learn, and that sometimes people do miss out on. Um, I think people do pretty much learn all the science and math that they need, which is basically none um, in the modern world. Uh, and those who are interested in science and math will pursue it and will can you know really excel at it. Plenty of homeschoolers and unschoolers have. Um, but no, what I think what I think is important. Uh, and I think is a big part of the parent's role is to make sure a child uh, is actually being respectful and not hurting people uh, in every sense of the word, um, mm-hmm. physically, emotionally, socially. Uh, that's that's what matters to me. Yeah, and this ties back to what we were talking about, um, the Betty Hoffner site, Hey Ugly, the self-esteem, the um, being sensitive to other people, not judging, not not stigmatizing, not stereotyping. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, just a simple, I mean, I think a lot of people can naturally uh, sort of pick on the little guy, um, and sometimes the little guy changes from from day to day, that's something I certainly noticed. But yeah, there's there's there can be plenty of cruelty in a lot of a lot of groups, and that's the most important thing to me is is, is not being cruel, especially mm-hmm. to those who have less power than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's something I've noticed just as much in the unschooling community um, as as any other group. Which mm-hmm. you know really disappointed me when I first noticed it, and now I've, I've continued to notice it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I do think that parents need to say, "Well, this is okay behavior, and this is not okay," you know. And you just have to be clear about it. Um, and I think that people respond to that because they know. I think people respond to being told what to do when they know what they're being told to do is actually right and true. Mm-hmm. Of course, not always. But I think that most people will respond to it. Um, 
I had a personal experience like that. Um, it was, I mean, it was a very small thing, but it was, so I was walking down the hall. It was fifth grade, so I was about ten years old or so, and uh, passed through a doorway. And suddenly, a teacher is yelling at me and telling me in no uncertain terms, "You have to hold the door for people. This is very important. Um, you always have to be careful about whether or not somebody's behind you and hold the door for you. That's just what you do." And I was kind of annoyed and like, "Why is she telling me what to do? She's not even my teacher." And um, then I realized, well, she's absolutely right. That is what you have to do. And from like that day on. I always made sure to hold the door for people, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's just mm-hmm. like, I think that sometimes you can say, you can insist on things um, in a not always, not even if it's not always gentle and the nicest way to do it or whatever, but just insist when, when it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people need to hear that. People need to, need to know that there is a pressure from the social group for you to do the right thing uh, and you to be courteous, you to be thoughtful. Um, and that if it's not there, then there, there can be a tendency for some people to, for me, it was just absent-mindedness. I just wasn't paying mm-hmm. attention to my own little world, as I often am. Um, mm-hmm. But that, you know, you have to pay enough attention and be considerate enough uh, for other people. Well, um, Patrick Ferenga has, has a... Um an article that he wrote called um, Growing Without Schooling, and he gives this particular definition of unschooling. And it's, it's, he says, it's allowing children as much freedom to explore the world as you can comfortably bear as their parent. And um, that, I think, would would kind of um, tie in with um, what you're saying. You know, don't just get in there and boss your children around and tell them what to do and keep them under your thumb. Allow them as much freedom as you can as you can bear. And you know, teach them the respect that you're talking about in in a right. you know a kind way. Um, that's very interesting, Peter. Um, not Peter, Eli. I'm so sorry because we talked about this. <laughs> it's okay. I referenced uh, yeah, him. yeah. Um, <laughs> because we had the riots here in London. You know, while I was here in in August, and that was a huge part of it. The younger generation here, and we see it on the streets because we do a lot of walking. Um, have no respect, absolutely zero respect. They just push and barge and shove and, um, you know, don't say sorry or excuse me or anything. So, um, you know, that's that's what we're dealing with. And um, Gretchen Rowe from the Calvert School says that they're actually going to start doing a course about social skills and, you know, teaching children how to, you know, behave socially. So, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm curious whether or not that would be an effective way to do it. You know, again, it's maybe it's, it's a lot of it situational, but I'd be interested. Um, yeah. well, I mean, as far as music, we'll con- right. let's let's continue just a little bit after the break here. All right, we're going to a break. I'll be back in a few okay. minutes. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginat with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus Not-So-Soccer Mom.com was born. 
Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Are you ready to get your woo-hoo on? From business and branding to babies, best-selling books, and personal breakthroughs? Then it's time to tune in to Woohoo Radio. Love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness with your host, Lisa Stedman. Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Using her signature blend of inspiration, motivation, and kick-butt action, best-selling author and chief woohoo woman, Lisa Stedman, wants to help you discover the woohoo that only you can do. Lisa will show you how to create your signature woohoo way of love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness without losing yourself. If you're tired of a one-size-fits-all approach to career, relationships, and personal growth, get your weekly woohoo on with Lisa and her rock star guests as they reveal their personal stories of bouncing back from boohoo of rock bottom into the woohoo of love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness. Check out her website, lisastedman.com. Join us for Woohoo Radio, love, life, business, and the Pursuit of Happiness, Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Eli, just before we went on the break, I was saying that um, this curriculum company was going to include um, basic courtesy or um, social skills um, as as a um, course. I think they're actually going to do it online. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, there's this big thing about homeschoolers and unschoolers is socialization. And the way they're taking it is, um, you know, just the basic, um, you know, hold the door open and, you know, I don't know, stand when a woman enters a room. I don't know whether they're going to. To, to go into those real <laughs> there, there, getting real old school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, we're from the south, you know. So my husband's a southern <laughs> gentleman, so you know he was taught that kind of thing um, from his family. But um, you know, yes, interesting to see how they will do that. But also interesting that I mean that is the key that's missing. And I'm so glad that you that you brought that up. Do you have um, other another anything else that you want to say about that, or anything else? Well, about, I mean, you? I guess. I mean, it, I think that it's also important to I mean, to point out, first of all, that you know, I'm not saying that unschoolers and homeschoolers are are worse, but I think that it's something that is something that has to be uh, carefully considered um, and just accurately looked at. Because I mean, there's, I guess, I'm when I'm while I'm emphasizing something that I think is a very sort of traditional conservative or whatever thing to point out. Um, I think what I'm, I'd also question exactly what we mean by respect and being polite. Because, you know, I think that sometimes you have to do something that might seem rude uh, to be respectful to yourself or to others. You know, mm-hmm. what's considered respectful in different circles, um, I think that's something you have to take into account, too. And mm-hmm. getting back to what I was saying, what we were talking about earlier about being true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes you have to do that, and sometimes it may seem rude to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, I would say something like, 
uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement that's going on now. That's right. I'm going into politics. Um, but like yeah. sometimes you have to protest and mm-hmm. say this is not right. What's going on? You know, and it might seem rude to other people. It might, some people might not like it, but it's actually the most respectful thing to do. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and we go back to another one of your themes, which is um, safety. You know, keeping yourself safe and helping others to to stay safe. And a lot of that has to do with um, saying no, or exactly. saying I'm not going to put up with this. This is not the way I need to be treated, or I don't need to feel that way. And I'm going to do something about it because if I don't, then who will? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so does it's, this, I mean, it's ultimately about being honest soul with safety. Is that is that part of you know sort of keeping yourself safe? Absolutely. I mean, that's a big part of it. A big part of it is 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 saying no, and the the way you first you get to that is by looking honestly about what's going on for you. Um, what is your experience? How do you feel about this? And I think that it's very natural to go with whatever's going on in your environment, um, and it's it's a big challenge um, to question it and to really question it and ask yourself whether or not it's right for you. Um, And then I think oftentimes if you realize it's not right for you and you're willing to admit that and say that and do something about it, um, then other people might realize, well, actually it's not really right for me either. I I just didn't really have the courage to think it, let alone do something about it. Um, And then, you know, in a lot of smaller situations in your life, a lot of times you just realize, uh, this is not right for me. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to slip out. I don't have to make a scene about it. I don't have to stand up for anything. It's just, uh, you know, listening mm-hmm. to this person speak is, is doesn't feel right to me. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't like the energy that's going on, and uh, or I don't like what they're saying, or whatever. Uh, I'm just going to get myself out of the situation. A lot of times, it's nothing dramatic at all, but it's still taking care of yourself. So, Eli, you do a lot of thinking, and I'm so glad about that because I think that's an important skill that's being lost. You do. Sometimes I wish, and, I, did, sometimes know, I, wish I did more than thinking, but I, I do a couple of things more than thinking. Oh, but, but you're working on your, your, your internal self, and I think that's very important. And when you said that if you speak out about something generally, other people will have the same thoughts as you. It's taken me a whole lot longer to realize that than you. And I'm so glad that young people um, like yourself are, are learning that because, you know, I'm not alone in the world. There are other people that are like me. And I think that's really important for young people to understand. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, Eli, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're not all totally disrespectful young people. A lot of us are, are doing no, horrible things. And, no, no, I know that. And, and with education and with true learning comes respect. Uh, it, that just, Absolutely. that comes really naturally. So, um, you know, I can tell you're a, you're a wonderful young man. And I'm so glad that you came back and spoke to me. Don't leave it so long next time. I know you have to go <laughs> away. You went on a tour and we haven't even, we didn't even get to talk about that, which is good because we spoke about that, I think, the first time. And, uh, I think this was really important, um, what, we, what we spoke about today. Um, thank you so much, Eli, for joining me, and you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you very much. You too. I'm happy to, happy to come back. So thank you so much. Thank you, and talk to you again, I hope. I hope so too. Okay. Bye. 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 All right. Well, 
that was a great conversation and um, it went down a different path to my normal conversations about homeschool. But that just shows you that you can take an unschooler and um, he's Eli must be in his um, mid-twenties and um, uh, produced a really, really wonderful person. So I'm so glad that I was able to talk to him this afternoon. Um, I'm just going to take a little detour back to light for a moment. Um, my opening was about the creator of light and the sun that's beating down on me right now offers healing and life-giving light. In my conversation the other Friday with rocket scientist Shanna Godfrey, homeschooling mother of 14, if you remember, author and much, much more. Go Google her and find out for yourself. She reminded us that according to Einstein, the speed of light is the only constant thing in our universe and Jesus was called the light of the world. Is that God talking to us? Or is it a random turn of phrase thousands of years ago? Well, trying to defend creation, I really get tongue-tied. When evolutionists start spouting at me, all I can think to say is, but how can you think all this is chance? And I can't ever come up with an example of all this. But Shanna does, and she does it eloquently, explaining about waste vacuoles and chaos, DNA and self-healing genes, the impossibility of slow recessive mutation and how naturally moving to a higher state goes against the laws of physics. Even though I was able to teach advanced biology, chemistry and physics with the carefully worded help of Dr. Jay Weil of um, Apologia, I was still at the basic levels when it came to what Shanna was talking about. So I strongly suggested that she write a book for me to memorize. And after my chat with Shanna, I told my blue-eyed cowboy, I feel so much more brilliant than I did even a couple of hours ago. This is great. One of the basics to remember, in addition to the light, is that in physics, the law of entropy means all things are on a downward spiral into chaos unless energy is inserted. Matter left on its own will not naturally organize into a higher state. It'll disintegrate into utter confusion, rather like our closet after several weeks of neglect. I hear that. How can this world and all that is in it be chance? How can species have evolved from one thing into another? The millions of years needed for evolution wouldn't allow any of the transitional creatures to survive. As it is, there are gaps in the fossil record. But instead of taking these gaps as more proof that evolution couldn't have worked, stubborn and disbelieving scientists just say, we'll find the missing link. We know it's there somewhere. Just give us more time. In traditional secular schools today... Young people are only hearing one theory of the beginning of the world. Unless they get creation at home, they'll grow up without another explanation, which is very one-sided and not a good teaching model. So I say, Shanna, get out there and write that book. So as your lovely pre-kindergartners are learning how to read phonetically with your Godfrey method, they can then pick up your science book and learn how evolution couldn't possibly work and at least have an opportunity to get another insight onto how the world began. Shine some light, Shanna. So on our final afternoon with our son who left yesterday, we went to the shops. I know this sounds odd, but all my children like to take special food back to America. Things I used to return with back, turn back with in the old days. Um, before the Indian shops began stocking items were Marmite, HP Sauce and Branston Pickle. You can look them up. I'm not going to tell you what they are. The habit is stuck. Only the goods returning home in suitcases now is slightly more exclusive. Digestive chocolate biscuits, hobnobs, fruit pastels, crunchies, flakes and custard, to name but a few. These items haven't made it onto the shelves at the Asian markets yet, so we enjoyed an hour at Sainsbury's buying unhealthy foodstuffs. 
His hoard was heavy. I sent my oldest son an email telling him to look out for the treats I'd sent home just in case Simon was tempted to hoard the lot. Then he packed. His dad helped him. Our children become completely and utterly helpless around us. He'd bought a couple of our cousin's pots. She's a potter. So more careful padding had to be added to help them survive the 4,000-mile journey. In the morning, we were up at the grand old time at 4.45 a.m. That was only yesterday. And accompanied him to Heathrow and made the return journey. And we were home by 9.30. Woof. We have to repeat the journey two more times next week because our daughter's coming in town before we will once again be lonely, empty nesters. I told Simon that when we buy food and goodies at the shops, (laughs) the fun of having children discover it in our fridge, freezer or cupboard has been deprived of us because they don't live nearby. I also think I've come to the realisation that I don't want to be a plane journey away from my children. It's so final when they leave. And my cowboy expressed some feelings of envy as Simon was going home to friends, much as we would like to. But as I say to all of us here on these cold and verdant shores, it's only a year. Sometimes it's difficult. Then the sun streams into our window and the world is all right again. Well, like most men, um, my Texan is not keen on change. And you know what he did? He went and he shaved off his beard this morning. And it's taken years off himself. No more gray beard on his face. No more gray face. I suggested that he do this several times since we've been here. But he said that difficult, that change was really difficult for him. And I am being told, I'm so confused. Time just goes so fast that this is the end of my show. I have no idea where 60 minutes goes. And we've got Paris arriving tomorrow. I hope she has a safe journey. So I need to thank the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest Eli goes on and my faithful listeners and i will be back next week may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you may the lord watch over you and give you peace and i'll see you tomorrow tomorrow next week Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Tokyo.